Hello and welcome to Between Two Servers. Today we're talking with the engineering team of multiplayer Knockout City of Valence Studios. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks, guys, man. All right, so we got Chris McAvoy, Joe Morton, Corey McWilliams, Chuck Homick, and Jacob Langworthy. And if I screwed your name up, let me know. All right, let's cut to a quick clip showing all the cool gameplay in Knockout City. Super unique game. Dodgeball, online dodgeball, catching, throwing, apparently there's a lot more here. It's not just your not just your typical FPS. Take a look. Welcome to Knockout City. This is your humble DJ, and I'm beaming a very special upgrade down to all you brawlers out there. Knockout City is free to play. City is a futuristic city of tomorrow. A city where you can hang with your friends. Just as easy as you can juggle. And Knockout City wouldn't be complete without a brand new technological toy to play with. Boomerang Ball. isn't the only super science surprise we've got up our sleeve. So grab your crew, grab a ball, and hit the streets. Because we're free to play forever, baby. The city of tomorrow is here, and the brawl has just begun. Okay, we're back with the engineering team. Uh, you've recently, a year ago, Almost a year ago, launched Knockout City. It was the second game for the studio. Over a year now. So, and you'd been working on that for how many years before launch, Chris? Uh, we started in 2017. Okay. So, a while. And what's amazing is, is that although you prototype with you actually shipped the game with a custom engine called Viper. Chris, can you tell us a bit about the decision behind that? Why why you guys went for a custom engine for your multiplayer game in, in 2021? So good question. Um, I think so uh, throwing the ball, catching the ball, interacting with a high-speed moving physics object was sort of core to our gameplay. And um, yeah, I mean, we thought a lot about ways to reduce latency and improve responsiveness. And I think where we landed was we needed to do a lot of client-side prediction mm -hmm. um, and, you know, basically the entire world. And yeah, I mean, once you start doing that, you're talking about sort of radical changes to the how the simulation works, maybe in Unreal or, or whatever engine you're using. So we're not, not really even talking FPS network at this net, net code style at this point anyway. It's totally something different. Yeah, I mean, it was really, I mean, we knew we were going to be playing over the network. We knew the server needed to be authoritative. Mm -hmm. So we knew those things. So that led us to client-side prediction. And then from there, it was just, well, you know, are we going to massively overhaul Unreal or something like that? Or should we do it ourselves? And 
many of us had come from a place where we did it ourselves already so that it seemed yeah. easier at the time maybe it was unclear so there's something really important for everyone watching this is like this this is not your first rodeo no no one on this i mean you all all of you have a shared experience at vicarious visions yep. and uh, at the new valen studios this this is the first original ip by you guys which also worked on the the cool mario kart home circuit game which was the yes. ar one super yes. cool very refreshing um did anyone on the call work on the mario kart one uh yeah a few little, little bits. bit yeah i remember it's super interesting i don't know if like it was it... 2018 or 2017 getting a little uh raspberry pi and <laughs> you stuck the to, raspberry pi in the car just trying to get uh UDP packets to go back and forth between the car, this little Raspberry Pi, and the PC, so that we could have a development environment. That That's super made, awesome. Made so, for everyone on the call, let's do like a quick sizzle, show you what the Myra Cat Home Circuit looks like as well. Mario Kart is racing into yours. You can bring the action to life by setting the course in the real world. Mario Kart Live Home Circuit, rated E for everyone, only on Nintendo Switch. Cool. So let's dive into this a bit. So what, what were the challenges getting data from the car to the Nintendo Switch and how did you folks attack that? A, a networking problem, but not a traditional one. I guess there's a couple of very interesting things with the Switch and how that whole thing worked out. Um, the fact that everything has to be low latency, right? So it's UDP. Um, yeah. But the Nintendo Switch is even more unique than that insofar as um, when you're playing the game, the Nintendo Switch doesn't have an internet connection to the outside world. So it actually acts as an access point. Um, also, it's actually, it's actually like a Wi-Fi router to the car. Yep, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so that was a very unique uh, aspect to, to working on that. Very cool. And you're actually streaming video. So not only do you have latency, but actually also a bandwidth problem too, I would imagine. Yep. Cool. Yep. Do you guys do any custom encoding or any any tricks that you had to hit up for that? There Anything were you can definitely tricks. I don't know what we could talk about, but there, I mean, there were definitely yeah. tricks. You want There's to magic source here. Do okay. some things, yeah. Pretty cool. So, so back to Knockout City. So you recently launched it. You worked on it for a very long time. So 2017 through to launch early middle 2021 um may or end of may, may 2021 that's yeah. a lot of development but as you know the all of the hard stuff happens after you launch the game what was the launch like for all of you guys um i'm trying to think about what i can remember uh i remember, <laughs> I remember what can you remember of, through tears i yeah. remember a lot of early mornings, so much work uh definitely a lot of early mornings um we had there was a there was well, so there was the actual launch, right? Where it's a cross-play game, cross-platform. And so when you finally get into retail on all of the consoles and you, you mm -hmm. find out the little things that yeah. were supposed to be the same as development, but actually were not the same. And so we had a, there was definitely a bug on, I think, Xbox where the game just didn't boot up. Oh, and God. that was one of that was one of the, the early, early things. Um, and shifting more towards like the back end and actual like, internet related things. I remember um, 
obviously we were iterating rapidly on our first sort of backend that we had written and deployed to production. And mm-hmm. we had um, we had a bug in our zero downtime deployment. So I remember the er- some of the early mornings were due to the fact that we wanted to wake up and do it. So you, you you had to look at that that like daily player curve. And then yes. do your deploys at the oh that's so painful. Yep. I'm so, so we sorry. Were, we were up at I've been there. Just to... I've been there. It's really horrible. And then and then you do a deployment and you're like you mess something up and you're like oh and then you have to have downtime. So you did you didn't quite have the like seamless uptime. No. Yeah. Actually, I'd, I mean, other than those really early morning deployments, I don't know if we really had any downtime. Right. Yeah. It was pretty much we knew it was that more like we, risk management. Exactly. Like so, we knew that yeah. when we had to do one of those deploys that backends would not exit gracefully and so okay. um we would basically try to fix it and then it wouldn't quite work out and we're like okay well i guess we can have another stab at it and we'll try again tomorrow at 5 a.m got it, got it, got it. after enough 5 a.m mornings uh, we were like okay we can feel comfortable about doing this during the day now and not disrupting everybody that's pretty cool so we got we got two really big topics already i think the the actual game net code itself and your custom engine and all the stuff you did to do that but also the back-end services and the matchmaking and all the things around the launch of your game um let's let's hit up the uh the unique engine first and the net code approach um who wants to talk about it chris are you the guy i think i'm gonna chris is gonna i guess, I guess i'll <laughs> start it's chris sure so you got viper um, you've got yeah. you've got a totally custom engine What's totally unique custom. about it? What's what's different about it from other engines? Uh, well, I mean, so going in, you know, we want to do a lot of client side predictions. So the mm-hmm. the notion of uh, rolling forward and rolling back, if you're familiar with those concepts from like GDC talks or something, that's something that our engine just does. Like you have to turn mm-hmm. it off, <laughs> right? Uh, so it's um, so it's a thing that's just sort of on by default. Um, we try to be deterministic in our simulation. Um, mm-hmm. And that's another thing that's just sort of like determinism checks and that kind of thing are is on it, by Is default. it hard determinism? Like you're literally checksum no. in game state? Well, I mean, we are literally checksum in game state, okay. but okay. not all of it. Okay. okay. Um, and what we're really trying to do is get a deterministic simulation just for like the core parts of our gameplay. You know, you enter the UI okay. or something like that, all bets are off. So there's uh, a determinant. Do you have a boundary in your code, like a deterministic core or is it fuzzy wuzzy? It's fuzzy you can sort of opt in and out to determinism checks mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. people don't opt in and out correctly um and so it's, it's an ongoing thing but um no i mean to this day we can run like the core of our game and and know that it's at least deterministic on that machine okay got it um, which got it you know it gives us a sense that like our prediction on the client is probably decent maybe not so perfect. one one other thing that's really interesting is vscript and yeah. specifically from an article that you wrote, which, which we'll put a link up here, um, going on about vScript. I mean, you've got a core in in, in C, not C++. Mm-hmm. It's a big correct. discussion there. I fully agree with you. Um, <laughs> but but vScript, you can run it in a VM, but also compile it to C. And, I, and it's, it's very interesting because we've got, what have we got here? An iteration time thing. Well, yeah, but very not cool only that, there. not only that, but... Um, and and Joe is actually the person that wrote our first version of the VScript compiler, so oh, I'll cool. credit to him. But um, what? So Joe talked about how Xbox <laughs> didn't boot at launch in production, and so what we were able to do is scramble within like a half an hour and oh. use our untested oh, content so powerful, de- right untested oh. content deploy to push a new VScript to Xbox to 
unblock ourselves from the crash and get us into launch. Like we that turned so it off, amazing. like one of the like checks was failing. And so we're for like some upsell screen or something like that, whatever. Um, so we turned that off at launch uh, using using vscript running a vm so you can you uh, can actually have a whole load of code shipped but then override with vscript large parts of it at will yeah yeah and Corey That's wrote amazing. all of that content update stuff cool. which was awesome and amazing uh but yeah yep pretty much any data very cool so interesting thing so let, let's dive into how we network the game so i'm going to take a rough guess designers work in vscript and you've designed vscript so that it is it is the thing networked yes uh by so you're not large, going in there like sweeping up little i always think of it like a little pooper scooper like we don't want to have you don't want to be the net coder go on behind the game coder and the designer scooping up the poop and like you're networking right. it right it's like no no, right. no you create a structure that's networked and then you make the game with that structure so tell me how did you create a structure with vscript that helps you network your game I guess the precursor there is that we did the pooper scooper thing on a prior game, and so oh my god, what, it's, it's hell. What led us to yeah. Uh, how did we do that? Well, I mean, you know, there's a few things. Uh, one, uh, you know, we we sort of split our sort of what we call constant data from our mutable data associated okay. with VScript, and then you know, with one switch, you can make a whole script or all instances of that script uh, be replicated over the network. Um, and so in that way, it's pretty simple. Um, and then on top of that, whenever you run our game in development, you have to boot up a local server and a client. Like there's no okay. way you can't play in so a they in networked the, way. <laughs> they're in the same process. So there's no so there's no they're, context where it's just like, well, this is just a single player game. It's, yeah, no, 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 no. Like this is a client and a server in one instance. It's in one instance, uh, yeah. and there's actual like we start up some sockets and we connect them together yeah. and we actually encrypt this stuff and like the whole pretty much That's stack brilliant. is running. Uh, yeah. So you can't you can't sort of sidestep it. So we we did this on uh, Titanfall one, Titanfall two as well. A local a local server, client and server running in the same thing. Even to shipping the single player game of Titanfall one and Titanfall two is a client and server running in the same executable. Folks, the right way to do it: there is no single player even if yeah. there is single player. <laughs> right, yeah, no, I think that's totally how you got to do it if you're going to make like a, a real serious competitive The back end is in there too. All of our local builds also oh, wow. in the back end. If, uh, if somebody connects to your local build, they can join your group or start matchmaking or whatever they want. Oh, that's amazing. So 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 again, like a network next, uh, Chuck, we, we love Golang, right? Golang's awesome. Really, really, you know, but it's not C and it's definitely not going to be running inside Visual Studio with an F5 and you often you end up with a schism between backend programmers and game programmers, totally different programming knowledge set to to code in this backend language versus C. But now you've got the backend written in C running in the same yep. process. Do you even use vScript in the backend? No, we haven't we gone that far yet. <laughs> I think every few month, few months, somebody is like, "Is this the time where we're going to add the interpreter to the backend?" It just feels like it's like that extension, but again, I don't know if it's really valuable. Um, so, running a backend in C in twenty twenty one, is it fast or does it take a longer time than than say in uh, GoLang or Python or whatever? The process of writing it, um, I think, once we got all the core parts we needed to do it. It was fast. It really, it really is that you're building your own ecosystem to write your own backend. 
And then I guess you've got to build the tooling and then past that point, you're okay. So let, let, let's talk about the benefits, Corey. So you, you've got the decision to write the backend in C, somewhat controversial in 2021 from a traditional backend point of view, but justified given the benefits that you're all seeing as a team. Let's talk about that. What are the benefits that you get from your backend in C versus a different language in your backend versus in your game? I mean, like we said, being able to push F5 and, see, and set breakpoints and everything and step through it all at once is powerful. Uh, being able I love to the idea up. of your... The idea of your backend just being in there every time you run the game is pretty radical. It's like any artist who boots up the game will see like the same yeah. experiences in production. Um, I would say like using game data types just naturally mm -hmm. them in the backend. So, you, so you, you you would avoid a lot of that marshalling back and forth, and uh, yeah, okay. So that's yeah. it. So you've got you've got an ABI effectively now that that goes across your client and your server and your backend potentially, you know. <laughs> I might, I might be making it sound more awesome than it is, but yeah, maybe a little bit there, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. I mean, the cool thing is like, we're in, like, we, I think when we started writing the backend, we kind of thought like, oh, this is a generic thing. It's a backend. And then yeah. as reality hits you over the face, you're like, no, it's not really, it's, it's not good city's backend. And so yeah. eventually yeah, more, yeah, more, yeah, data, yeah. more and more game data ends up there because it's, that's the most useful place for certain things to go. And like Corey said, yeah, you could just load the data. Just we're like, okay, well now we'll deploy the these this, this chunk of the the data tree with the back end, and then we can load it up and we can look at it and we can use the same code to interpret it. Um mm -hmm. which is which is pretty cool. And it's kind of like the yeah, like the the benefit of C or the fact that it's all in one code base. Um yeah. so a programmer, like we try really hard to not have barriers. So mm -hmm. If a programmer is like, oh, I'm going to work on this new achievement system or like contracts, for example, in, in Knockout City. Um, You're going to go top to bottom, aren't you? You're going to go all yeah, the way could, through the game code up to the back end and back down. Exactly. There's and, the benefit. And into That's the, the editor as well. So they can, yeah. they can they if they're like, oh, hey, I want to know about this contract on the back end or when the season ends or something. If they mm -hmm. know how to do that in game code, then they automatically know how to do it in the back end. They might just have to ask a question like, oh, hang on a second, like when is this data loaded? And then they have to figure out how to load the data on the back end. But once you do that, you're over the hump. And mm -hmm. same deal, like if you're in the editor and want to do something special with contract data, you know how to you know how to deal with it because it's all the same code base. So how does the editor fit in? Is the editor part of the, it's obviously all part of the whole package or is the game running in the editor or is the editor the game? Who Who's most experienced with the editor side on the call? Components we have inside the, pro the Viper process are the game, the backend, the editor, the data D, which is how we build data. Mm -hmm. I think those are all the main ones. There might be some so other. Do you, do you have one process um, loading DLLs as modules, or how does it all? No, no. But this okay. is one project, one process, okay. and it can fire up all those things, multiple instances of some of those. Okay, so you've actually you've actually designed all of them to have their own instance space, so they're not. So obviously, the client and the server are not directly talking to each other. Maybe we could talk a bit about that because you see, in, in engines I've worked on, you often come to the party where they haven't quite thought of that from day one. And the only way you can get the memory separation because the game code's full of statics is you're going to yeah. have a DLL for the yeah. server and a DLL for the client. Yeah. So we have a big rule about no singletons, no statics. Go. And yeah. uh, I mean, we started secret. from zero. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's where we are. It's cool. Quite nice. Cool. And so did you want to talk about the app architecture, Chris? Um, sure. I can talk about that. I mean, we have a little 
like a little frame around each of these things, like the back end is an app and however many clients you're running are, are apps and the servers an app and all these things are these little apps. And so it's kind of like you could imagine it's like a thread local concept almost. An app is a bunch of different, it's a collection of threads, but they all have thread locals that point to your current app. So you can be in any sort of Viper thread and you can be like, what's my app? And yep, then you yep, get yep. your app and then you get a bunch of services off it. You're like, give me the file system, give me the memory system, give me the entity system or something. Off Got it. App. You've created your own operating system in C <laughs> <laughs> for games. I know. I mean, that. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a little, little bit kind of like that. Sure. Yeah. So, so Jacob, calling on you what 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 is uh what are some of the cool challenges that you've done around the multiplayer in knockout city um leading up to launch or post-launch so uh, chris kind of mentioned that we do a lot of client prediction and part mm -hmm. of that is like uh, a temporal um uh what's it called temporal displacement or whatever where the client is actually running ahead of the server mm -hmm. and it will speed up and slow down based on um how uh you know like latency and packet loss and stuff like that and so yeah. uh i think kind of getting used to that system and understanding types of problems you have uh with gameplay it's a bit um, of a mind fuck really isn't it yeah a little, a little bit and like it's just it's it's a very interesting thing to just kind of uh know that the client everything you're seeing is kind of a prediction and uh, the problems you run into are like uh, with like mispredictions and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, the the way we solve them, I kind of I, I don't know. I feel like we all have it's it's this thing where if there's a problem with a mis misprediction, that we all kind of have like there's five of us, so we have five different ways to solve it. And it's just I don't know. Interesting for for me, I'm like let's just. Uh, Let's do things like forward client input from uh, from the server to all the clients, so that we like we have better extrapolation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah so yeah. like we we may not have perfect prediction for all clients, but we have like enough where uh, most mm -hmm. people have like a little information on what all the other clients are doing before the server corrects anything. And so I think okay. that kind of I, I I'm not sure if we ever figured out if that helped us or hurt us, but uh, that's an... It's certainly so, somewhat of an uncharted territory. I mean, I'm getting a big kind of GGPO kind of vibe. Mm. You know, there's definitely more of a... So, so I mean, really, you've, you've kind of given away. Like, you're running more simulation on the clients for the other objects. This isn't an FPS model where the... Although the server is authoritative, it's a dedicated server architecture. We're, we're talking about something where it's not that, like, Call of Duty or Titanfall or whatever, where where the real objects are on the server and the players just have their one object and they're shooting at interpolated ghosts of other people and then we're all working it out on the server with lag comp. It's not right, it's right. not what's, what's going on. Like you're 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 throwing a ball, you're catching a ball, you're dodging. It's a lot more like a fighting game in its netcode because it's about interactions between two players, and some of these interactions cannot fully be predicted. I can't predict if someone's going to dodge or not. Yeah, and so we we don't have a lot of like instantaneous actions, which kind of mm -hmm. helps, I think. And so like there are there are things. It, it's a little bit more like a fighting game where we draw on things like we have a, a tackle in our game, and that has I, I'm not going to remember the fighting game terminology here, but that has like that has like the warm up phase, and then 
and then you like actually mm. start entering into the animation and then you do the tackle right and so it's yeah. this built-in i'm gonna guess of... that the correct terminology is whiff because i remember <laughs> it from god award yeah, those yeah guys were so into combat um but yeah i could be totally wrong so you got uh, that warm-up and you're trying to hide some latency in that and what are you doing at that are you kind of like trying to get the server to kind of confirm that you get it and you're hiding it with anim or how, how does that all go we don't uh, actually, I can't remember if we, we have like a few things where we ended up trying to do some confirmation, but in the end, I think we kind of, like my personal preference is that we don't, uh, that we correct instead of confirm. Mm -hmm. um, but there are certain things like maybe, maybe the hit sound effect doesn't play until the server confirms it, stuff yeah. like that. So like uh, maybe pieces of it might be. Mm -hmm. um, you can, you can tease apart parts of yeah. the hit and the hit reaction and, have some be predicted and some be confirmed from the server. Yeah. Uh, very cool. Uh, what else can we talk about for the netcode? Are there any other like crazy things that you've seen when you, when you launched that you didn't expect? I mean, how, how did you test prior to launch latency and, and how did, how did the internet surprise you? I think we did two betas. We did yeah. two betas and we did a closed alpha. Mm -hmm. um, I think that gave us a lot of insight. Yeah. Um, Corey was in charge of our stress test, load test situation. Mm -hmm. And we load tested the Dickens out of the back end. Yeah. Um, yep. I think that helped us a lot. Although there's a couple things we missed because I remember <laughs> after launch being like, oh, there's a message we did never load tested and it seems to be slow. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we were surprised by the moment to moment honestly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think we did a lot of like I mean, the launch went quite smooth and i mean i don't i mean externally of course there's always like <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i mean like we i think we had been running with the model so long and you know in the development environment we always play with like fake lag and fake loss yeah. and all this stuff yeah. that it was pretty solid really I think for our moment to moment, the name of the game was, could we get our performance good enough so that mm. when we needed to roll forward so many times, we could do yeah. so in the 60th of a second. So you, um, you've got this model where you are, as the client, your player is ahead in time, which means when the server correction comes back for the whole world state, including you, you've got to kind of bring that sim forward by I mean, your 60 FPS internally, or is that render? Help me understand uh, the tick rate. What's the parameters here? <laughs> it varies a little bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, we uh, we <laughs> we have a lot of roll forwards to do. Um, yeah. And CPU there's a, bound. Yeah. Right. We're CPU bound. I mean, we do a bunch of tricks, and, and you and I have talked about this, Glad, mm -hmm. where we'll induce latency on the client side. Yeah. If, the latency between client and server is so bad that we can't run mm -hmm. forward enough to cover the gap. Yeah. Um, so the, I mean, it, and then we do this other thing where we might actually sim only every other frame if things get really, really bad. Okay. So you've got um, kind of like a ships hit the fan mode, drop the sim rate, try to recover so you don't get And the then add client yeah, latency. Yeah, and there's yeah, all yeah. these tricks we keep piling on. So like, I mean, yeah. there's a core sim rate, but like there's a lot of stuff that piles on. So it's hard for me to say really, you know, it's pretty connection dependent on what you experience moment to moment. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, so effectively, 
CPU bound on the rollbacks, a lot of tricks to kind of avoid the spiral of death of not being able to re-simulate fast enough so that in real time you can step forward in time, the game gets further and further behind and then and then it's over. Um, and of course, you guys also have late join, right? Do you do you let people hop in mid-game? And, and obviously you're not fully deterministic because they're able to come in and get state and join in in the game. Yeah, so I mean, our That's model is one of um the the server is replicating the entire world to the client mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um we don't we don't have like like a full world snapshot necessarily in a packet we will mm -hmm. we sort of prioritize all the game objects and we take the top n and we fill yeah, a packet yeah, yeah. kind of thing a washing um, machine model Right. Kind Interestingly, of, kind of, we don't yeah. fragment ever. We fill an MTU and then we're done. Yep. 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 Because uh, we, I don't know. I, you, you, the, the next packet's going to get the. The next packet's going to come along. It. And yeah. yeah. I, so yeah. we never bothered to fragment, um, yeah. which gives us a pretty low bandwidth, which is nice. Yep. It, it, it is a really, really nice. One of the really nice things about the sort of washing machine priority accumulator packet model, of course, is that you can you can just literally say, I'm going to hit this packet size and I'm going to fill it. And then if I don't fill it, then I'm going to put them in the next one. Now, the challenge, of course, is that um, you're not necessarily getting state updates for every object in the yeah. world. So the consistency trade-off is there. But different different strokes yeah different so we've things, added right? a we've added like a dependency system where you right. can say hey i have a bit of data that points to some other objects so I these two things object. always need to be together right and there's an ordering yeah. thing like if i depend yeah. on a thing it needs to come first yeah. before i get it so do, do, do you guys do relevancy i mean your worlds are relatively small so i would assume that it's most of the objects are active or is it a distance based frequency how, how does that work uh getting really into the nuts and bolts there's an interest function that's based mm -hmm. on distance and also based on type of object. I think if you're a player right. or you're a ball, you get a priority yeah. boost. And, of course. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Jacob might remember some other things, but I know we played with that. Yeah. No, I think that's mostly it. And it like cascades through. So like if a player depended on something that would, I see you, you do the, you do the kind of like the, the recursive walk and that bumps up the priority. That's very cool. Um, Okay, so let's talk about the server. So we've got the server running simulation. The server is, I'll take a rough guess, it, it really is just stepping forward at ticks. And if it has input, it's going to apply it. It's going to get try to get input from all of the players. And in this model, it really is the client's responsibility to deliver input before it's simulated. Is that, yep. and that's your time synchronization. Yep. yep. Got it, that's got it, true. got it. So if you don't get any input from the client for that frame, do you just go, wow, too bad, dude? Or do you hold the same input or how, how does that all work? I think we hold the same input, but not entirely like, well, mm -hmm. if we, like, if we see a button release, we'll obviously complete the release and we won't copy yeah, that yeah, forward yeah. to the next frame and we'll, we'll do some other things. Yeah. I know Jacob quite is trying to think dependent. about this. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't exactly remember. I remember working on this though with Jacob. <laughs> I know we used to walk people off cliffs and then we stopped doing that. Yeah. 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 You might, can't extrapolate too far. Yeah. <laughs> we might just cut it off. On that. Yeah, yeah. We might cut it off. Yeah. There's, there's a bunch of code in there uh, yeah. to do. I think I did Thanks. something on, on a, on a peer to peer game similar. It's like, you know, like someone lag switches and then they run in the wall. 
or they disconnect and they run in the wall or they run mm-hmm. off the cliff. It's kind of annoying. So I think, again, it's different in a client-server context, but in the peer-to-peer context where I did it, which was go to war, was uh, it's like, well, I haven't received a packet from that client for 0.25 seconds or longer. Stop walking. It's okay. Yeah. Something like that. I think yeah. I think there's something like that, uh, but yeah, some context there. Cool. So at a very high level, how do you ensure that the client delivers the input in time to be simulated on the server? And then at the same time, how do you try? I mean, there's competing things here, right? You absolutely want to deliver that input before the SIM step on the server, ideally, yeah. right? I mean, it would be bad, but like it's not the end of the world, but it would be bad. Um, but then at the same time, you've got a competing priority, which is, I don't want this really long SIM delay. I call this the window of bullshit. It's like all the bad stuff happens in here when the client say, like, if the client can be ahead by five frames instead of 30, well, firstly, it's lower simulation, but it's also a smaller window of bullshit. And that's the window where you get shot behind cover, where you think you killed someone, but you don't get it. So... This is, I mean, there's no correct answer here. This is like almost the scariest part of any network code base. It's kind of like, I think it works, but I'm not really sure. I mean, we um, have some feedback loops, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's like a pin controller kind of almost. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. looking at ping, we're looking at packet loss, we're looking at jitter, especially. Mm-hmm. And that'll really cause us to maybe add some delay as we see more yeah. jitter. So you want to be kind of safe. Right. And we have yeah. this historical buffer as well. So we're, we're looking over the past like 30 seconds or something and trying to make the, you know, the the smallest amount of latency that is still safe. Yes. Um, yeah. And then when we send input to the server, we send all of the input that hasn't yet been acknowledged. Okay. So you, you keep your packet loss with that. So that's a good strategy. Right. Yeah. right. Um, and then, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of like sort of magical numbers a little bit and <laughs> tweaking it like i i built like at one point i built like a sort of an analytic state machine of the model so that i could play with all kinds of jitter and packet loss and then look at the parameters yeah, look at or the feedback now yeah, look at the yeah. reaction or feedback just sort of like in an analytic kind of excel kind of way like how does this behave mm-hmm. for all possible values yeah um and we pick some that seemed reasonable yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. So there's there's another approach that I, I don't know if it helps your game at all, but um, something for, for for the for the viewers is like I've done the exact same thing that Knockout City has done, especially in the realms of physics simulation, because of course you you you, you can predict the physics simulation to a point, but if it's a bunch of rigid bodies and the p- different players are affecting the same stack of bodies, like it's you really just have to run the simulation itself to extrapolate. So I'm in the same situation as you folks where the server's running the simulation doing a traditional step forward and the client is trying to trying to keep ahead of the server, predict ahead with these, these very CPU intensive steps, right? Maybe even more CPU intensive when it's like Havoc or, you know, like a, a physics engine with rigid bodies. And then, and then you've got this kind of really complicated, like, but not too far ahead and like, oh no, my, now I'm CPU bound. So it's quite terrifying. There's a different approach that in FPS games I've seen that kind of blew my mind. So here's here's what I've seen. Again, it wouldn't work necessarily for this, but um, I've seen a different approach where you split the world up into each player and each player have their own time stream on the server. And the players only actually move forward when they get 
an input. And it's actually the inputs from the clients are less about inputs for this time. It's more like, here's my DT plus my input for this DT step. So each client is kind of moving forward in a DT. And, then, and, then, and they don't even have to be fixed frame now, right? And then the world itself kind of has a traditional stepping forward. But the clients are like a little bit ahead on the server, a little bit behind. And where this all kind of comes out is that there's this crazy lag comp code looking like when you're shooting someone in FPS, you're not you're not looking at their position right now. You're you're basically reconstructing when I shot on my client, what on the server in the ring buffer of their bone positions and orientation, where were they? And then the code just moves them to that, and then it resolves whatever the hit is. So it's like that's how we get that kind of the clients being in different time streams, but that relieves that whole kind of like terrifying, like I got to deliver the input in time. But uh, yeah. but yeah, so alternative approach, but but again, when it's so much about simulation and player to player interactions, how much are they really decoupled in a game like yours? It really seems much more like a GGPO style kind of fighting game simulation than an FPS. Yeah, yeah, and definitely I think that's where we came from. Um, I don't know, I've had some similar thoughts, Glenn, at various mm -hmm. points, um, and I think... You just got to pick... You, gotta you pick just sort of got to pick, it. and, yeah. you know, when we were starting the game early on, one of our, our main designers was very inspired by fighting games, yeah. and he's like, this is a mix of fighting games and an fps and this other yeah. thing and i'm like okay well i'm gonna sort of like anchor some of the yeah. architecture around that concept yeah. you know how it turned out in the end i still think it it does have attributes of a fighting game whether or not we could get away mm -hmm. with like a different architecture at this point maybe um it would be such a radical change it but, would be also... i mean we probably couldn't do it given everyone is used to how it plays now but mm -hmm. yeah you know you learn yeah. so much and after five years, it's like, wow, maybe we should be there really, that decision. There really, is, there really is no right way to do it. There really is, for this game, there's the there's the Knockout City flavor, right? And I guarantee you, if you, if you change the, the networking approach or the flavor of how latency is hidden in your game, your players would notice. It's like Halo is Halo because of the way that it does it, which is different to Quake. Uh, Unreal Tournament, I, I think, doesn't have the the, the right netcode like Quake, but but so does so does Battlefront and Halo. And if you tell someone with Halo that you're going to change how Halo is networked to be more like Quake, they'll murder you. It's just like that's the feel that they want. So yeah, um, it's complicated. All right, let's talk about matchmaking. Who who's the matchmaking person on the call? Or probably I'm the matchmaker. So like massive challenge. Um, you've got people playing the game, and the classic matchmaking question is. It's 2 a.m. in Australia. What do you do? We do our best. <laughs> <laughs> Correct answer. So, um, so I, I worked on that quite a bit with our with yeah. our lead designer. And um, what were your goals? Like, what was the like? We want the player to have this experience. Like, what what was the guiding principle? Um, well, we know that we know that there's this triangular trade off. Um, right. We want the players to have the lowest latency. Yeah, uh, the best match with um, players that have compatible skill, mm -hmm. um, and we want to do it as quickly as possible. Yeah, um, 
and it's not pick like two. it's not like the, I was going to say not, it's not quite like picking two because sometimes you just get one sometimes or you get all three or yeah. if you turn the knob too far on one you lose the yeah. other two or something like that and so um, we started out by um, uh, generating a lot of fictional scenarios I would use a random right. number generator to say like okay these are my these are my players in my world you know and there's 16 of them and I have to put them in four different games of four right. um, and then I try to do it by hand yeah. and then I try to see if there's an algorithm that would mm -hmm. produce the same output. And if What's it didn't, the pattern? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there was like, okay, well, how do we do this over time now? Because you have mm -hmm. people coming and going from the queue. Um, so do it's you guys, like, okay. Do you guys break up? Do you break up at the end of the match and throw them back in the match here? Uh, yeah, of course. Cool. Um, cool. They, uh, I mean, if they want to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, the, yeah. at the end of the match, you get the uh, the match summary, and you can you can retrigger in a matchmaking immediately. You can watch all the cool things that you've won. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, or return to well, the game mode. I, or something I, like I, that. I mentioned it only because I've seen a trap. Some games, like uh, uh, I've worked on some where we try to keep the same group playing match after match, and what you create are these little isolated islands, and and people try to join, and then there's there's no game with needs one person. Sometimes it happens just as a side effect of like everybody gets dumped into the pool at the same time, especially in league, um, yeah. you know, based depending on the number of players, um, you know, I can jump into a league game and I'm a certain uh, level and there may be like 10 or 15 people in the world at that level at that <laughs> moment. Um, yeah. So I'll finish a league game. Usually I get crushed. Uh, yeah. And then I'll re-trigger for another matchmaking. And I'm like, oh, it's the same guy again. I'm just going to get crushed fantastic. <laughs> which, bring, which brings us to an interesting exploit, which is boosting. Mm -hmm. How do you combat boosting with your game? Um, we have a really good set of community managers. Uh, mm -hmm. And they have their finger on the pulse of the community. And they know, like, you know, who's doing what. And uh, people reach out to them and say, like, hey, this player... You know, I know this player. I know their level of skill. This, this, you know, this rank is not attainable by that person. Yeah. Um, and we have telemetry, and our, you know, mm. and our team can go into the logs and say, like, oh, okay, yeah, it looks like they've they've played fifty games in a row where they've won, you know, ten to nothing. It hasn't really been a big problem, just because the competitive community mm. is a very um, very tight knit. They're yeah. they're yeah they're they're tight knit community. They're on the Discord. They they're all on. I guess they're on Reddit too, and they all chat with each other, and they all know who each other are, and sometimes yeah. they meet in real life and and have drinks and stuff. Um, so that part of that is really neat. Yeah. Um, so that hasn't been a big that hasn't been a big problem. And so I would assume the same, like cheating in other forms. Are, are there any exploits aside from boosting, like like that you've noticed that's specific to your type of game? I mean, it's less that like wall hacking or aimbots would really be a thing here. Uh, we've had. We, we have exploits. So if somebody okay. finds out you can roll into a ball and pass through this uh, corner in the geometry, then, uh, yeah. then you can you can make one point against your opponent and then have your whole team roll behind the wall where they can't touch you. Or, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, those are yes. bugs that, you know, people post video and then we fix it and then it's over. Um, there was a legend, I guess, of some kind of auto catch uh script uh that was claiming to say like oh, we'll we'll scan the screen and uh um you know we give you a warning a visual warning that somebody's gonna th somebody's throwing a ball at you um and 
So somebody's like, install this program and it'll screen scrape the warning indicator and then automatically catch the ball at the right time. Uh, yeah. It was fake. It was fake. It was a crypto miner. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, kind of funny. So as far as I know, yeah, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. As far as I know, there's no like client side exploit of that nature. Not anything that's been like proven. Yeah, we've had oh, a couple cool. of um of like players get more XP than they should, or something mm -hmm. like that. Or again, if they find a bug, if they know that like oh, if you do this thing and then uh, and then crash the client, then you can do the thing again and you can get the thing yeah. again. Um, so it's sort of like metagame and XP progression exploits. Not up to yeah, good. and I and I don't know why people do that because it's not a big win. Um, you know, it's the same thing about um, about people boosting in in league play. You have a player who's like, you know, diamond five thousand, and everybody knows who you are, and they're like, we know that you can't do this. Um, so, <laughs> so you know, I told you're not impressing anybody here. <laughs> I told our community managers like, why don't we just have a live tournament with all the top players and then we can Ooh, uh, and then we can real. stream yeah we can stream the games with these top players and see uh you know see who shows up i mean i guess the uh you know the booster's not going to make it or at yeah. least they could show up and be really embarrassed or they try to give their controller to somebody who can make them look good <laughs> it's really cool so uh what's an interesting thing to talk about i think one thing is the number of platforms that you're all on Cross-play. I mean, it's, it's an essential part of your game's success. You want to bring all of those players on different platforms together. I but certainly then, thought that was nuts. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm the latest one to join the team. I joined in, uh, yeah. in the, you might know this date, March of 2020, <laughs> um, which is also <laughs> interesting for another reason. But uh, Sounds like was, something was locked down. It was one of the many decisions that I walked into a brand new company and I said, you're doing what? Like, <laughs> in addition to like, we're doing everything in C and yeah. we wrote our own engine and, uh, and we're on every platform imaginable. And I'm like, well, you're really not making things easy for yourself, are you? You're taking this every, you're taking every yeah. aspect of this and you're doing it in the most difficult way possible. And I, but I, but I tell I you like, that uh, a lot. Being a being a multiplayer game, you know, 2021, 2022, you, you just can't fragment across platforms. You just you just can't succeed without crossplay these days. So I yeah, mean, that was put that onto the pile of massive mountains of work that need to be done just to launch a, a, a competitive game in the market these days, a multiplayer game. It's the, the, the amount of crossplay work required. So maybe we could talk about this. What sort of what sort of work did you have to do to make parties, invites, cosmetics? I mean, this this is an obscene amount of work. And and yeah. again, you did you did it all. You didn't, didn't. didn't use really any middleware at all. No. You're no, looking sad there. You're like, I wish I used some middleware. No, no, we didn't. No, it's it's remarkable. I I, I do remember being in the meeting. It's like, well, we could build all this, and then we did it. Um. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, it just seemed like we had to do it. I mean, I like, I, I think we really try to make all our big choices based on like, what does the game really, really, really need? And we knew yeah. you were right, Glenn. We really, really need to be cross play yeah. uh, to make a new IP work. Um, That's true. So then it was, at that point, it was just sort of clear. It was like, oh, well, do I guess it. we have to do it. So we yeah. started typing the and What's code. cool is, is, is you got to do it. And then, you know what? I, a mistake I've seen other teams make. I mean, 
I, I don't think it's as clear cut of like, you know, oh, what a risky decision making all of your own. But no, not at all. It's like, what if someone else owned it? How would you fix it and repair it? I mean, are you going to use a closed source backend server solution for your game? It's almost yeah, impossible no, to even that's imagine. Sort of the- Pareto thing you get yeah. with middleware. Middleware yeah. gets you 80% of the way there and you feel great and you're just like, wow, you know, this game's almost done. Yeah. And then and then that last 20 <laughs> is just everything that you realize that the, the middleware was not architected what? to do this, so this thing that you want it to do. This this is one for the whole team. I mean, like if you had a component you wanted to use on your game, but it wasn't open source, would you even consider using it? There's been a couple cases where we just had to do that um yeah. but didn't. no probably I didn't mean, feel that good i mean you want to look at it you want to inspect well, it make a change so, to it you know like i think our, our operating philosophy is if we've never done it before then we definitely have to build it because we're not even qualified to evaluate whether or not yeah, the yeah, middleware yeah. is good that's um, a great attitude but there was a few cases where we we're like man we built a bunch of those before and we just really don't have time and yeah, this feels like it again. checks yeah. the box and let's just yeah. do it yeah um and I wish, <laughs> I wish there was some middleware in a few places that where it just didn't exist, and we had to write it, and it was, yeah, we were writing it again. I was like, oh man, yeah, someone just make this, it'd be great. But so, so another component that's really key to the success of your game, so free to play relaunch. Um, Joe, do you want to talk about free to play and uh, what, what's the deal? You, you, you released with EA. And you relaunched as free to play. I know I've talked to Guhar and Karthik, a lot of really interesting business decisions around that. But but such a big transition of free to play, you know, mid cycle on the game. There's obvious business need for it, but I'm just thinking there's so many services required to support that. It must have been a really heavy lift for for all of you folks. Yeah, I mean, um, we started off. So we had an absolutely fantastic relationship with EA, and. Yeah. Um, we were great publisher, uh, honestly, really, really yeah, good. Yeah, we were like, we we knew from day one, we're like, okay, the game is going to be mid price premium, twenty thirty dollars or something like that. And um, after you know, like we we working on the game for quite a while, and after a while, we were really in it. And we were like, you know what, it'd be really cool to make this game free to play. But there was mm-hmm. enough in motion where you know making that change, changing the business model mid flight. Uh, before ship just just wasn't going to happen so that's so that's how yep. we, we shipped the way we shipped um but it was certainly on it on everybody's minds for, like, while we were alive like how how the how the launch had gone how the community had received it and you know when people say like oh the game should be free to play and we're like yeah you know that'd be cool um yeah. and so now like a year after launch we were self-published now so we you know did another difficult thing which is you know we we you know add it to the pile yeah, like we uh, were like, hey, yeah, what, what if, what if we took over self-publishing, um, and sort of, and so a huge part of that was looking at a lot of the tech, the EA tech that we had in the game, and and moving it over to Valent Tech. So, um, like all the commerce stuff that yeah, uh, yeah. Jacob had integrated from EA, um, and that we had some, some of it was a challenge, and some of it was like we're super happy that we had it. Um, now it was like, okay. There's a mixture between Corey, Jacob, and Chuck now where we're going to re-implement these different things. And that's where, mm. like, when we talk about cross-playing... That's a ton of work. Yeah. Yeah, when we talk about cross-playing, cross-commerce, and cross-progression, there's aspects to writing the back end where you're, like... So pre-free-to-play, we were, like, it's so much easier for this thing to just be cross-platform. You know, like, yep. if you're going to come, if you're yep. going to tell me that all these 
you know, I have to partition all these users and stuff. It's like, no, 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 it's no. like, it's so much easier to just not do that. But yeah. then when you tell yourself, okay, well, we're going to do commerce ourselves. And now you realize, oh, well, now I have to write Chuck, like I have to write this, what we call value transfer, which is, you know, going, you know, receipt validation, going to the first parties and saying, hey, what did this user actually purchase? And what have I actually given them in game yet? And how do I consolidate mm -hmm. that? And every platform is different. And so you have yeah, to- And you can't, you can't just write around this stuff. Like you must for TRC, Yep. You must use that store. You must use that entitlement system. You you just have to. Yep, um, absolutely. Um, because yeah. yeah, that's you know that's we're we're not at that point yet where we're taking actually taking credit cards off of people and charging the money. Um, mm. so a lot of the transition to free to play was around that was sort of like wrangling like what okay what's what stuff were we relying on on our on our publisher for that we're gonna we're gonna implement ourselves, um. But uh, yeah, and aside from that, it's just, it, it's kind of been like, you know, like we have, we have our own relationship with the first parties now and like, you know, so our, our marketing department is, has grown and we have like, you know, a release coordinator now. So like, we're the ones that decide, like yeah. we have to look each other straight in the face when we're, we want to ship a <laughs> bill we and we're like, it? are we actually yeah. going to ship with this bug? Like, is this, do we feel good about this? Um, but it also affords us the ability to be able to do some other creative things that we we couldn't have done. Uh, with our prior relationship and so like the turtles in the game now which is pretty pretty awesome yeah i saw the teenage mutant ninja turtles that's that's incredibly cool very cool um so one other thing we haven't talked about uh upstate new york i mean a, a really big part of your studio identity is troy new york up and coming it's like brooklyn used to be is what everyone tells me. And as, as an Australian living in LA for 15 years, I actually moved over after meeting you guys. I, I, I want to live here. So I'm actually in upstate New York, just 15 minutes away. And, uh, you know, cost of living is good here. You can get a house. You can, you can, uh, you got Rensselaer Polytechnic. You got a lot of really good universities around here. And it's the beginning of a really interesting gaming cluster where Valen is, is a big part of that. How many folks you have at your studio now? And I'd imagine it's quite uh, probably a probably like 120, 130, something like that. Holy, you were probably 30, 40 last time I chatted with you guys. Maybe yeah, it's hard maybe. to, it's, it's incredible. Congratulations. Yeah. So, uh, if you want to move to upstate New York and work on some really cool yes. games with these guys, uh, we'll put up the careers page right now. Um, the winners are cold, but that's okay. That's when we get the code. That's with. a good thing. That's a good yeah. thing. Seasons yeah. are great. Seasons are awesome. Uh, and as an Australian who never grew up with seasons, honestly, um, snow's pretty cool. I like it. So uh, check out the careers page. Everybody, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And congratulations on the success of Knockout City. Your own engine, your own backend, free to play, self-published. The only question is what's next? All right. We'll Thanks, do man. another interview for that. Thanks, guys. See Thanks, you later. Bye-bye. Thanks. Here's the hard truth. The internet doesn't care about your game. After all the blood, sweat and tears you put into making your game, you launch and some players get terrible network performance. What can you do about it? Build your own internet? This is why we created Network Next. Network Next is a radically new way of linking networks together. It's a new internet. One where networks compete on a neutral marketplace to carry your game's traffic. 
Network Next puts you, the game developer, in control of the network. We monitor every player's network performance and you choose when to accelerate them. Not only will you see better network performance for your players, you'll also have the security of knowing that if one network is congested, we switch to another in seconds. Now you control the network.